Hi, I'm Jake Parker, and this is my podcast, Beyond Fit. My goal is to help you live a happier and healthier life by providing actionable knowledge and advice about a wide range of health and fitness topics. You can find me most active on Instagram at jakeparker.fit if you want to connect or just see what I'm up to. Hi guys, this is Jake Parker back on the Beyond Fit podcast. Today, my guest is Brad Dieter. I say that right? Yeah, you nailed it. Okay, because I was listening to some of your guys' podcasts uh, this morning because uh, I was gonna I was gonna see if there's any questions I had about that. So I got I got the name down. Uh, I think I first heard you on you were on Mike Matthews' podcast, and he's okay. he's a, a role model of mine. I love to listen to all his podcasts. I actually found. Um, Mike's Muscle for Life and all that stuff a few years ago, and that's really what got me on the path I'm on now. So I listen to a lot of his podcasts. I actually was on there doing like a, a transformation show, like last some point last summer. And so, okay, uh, cool. yeah, so I'm a big fan of his and checking out your background and macros inc and all this kind of stuff. And so I guess I'm curious, just first of all, since we haven't had too much of a chance to talk, what uh what was the origin behind the macros inc and how did you get hooked up with that? I know that. There's a couple other guys that are, um, it seems like you're, you know, more or less partners or a few of the head uh, guys like Jay, the guy that you do the podcast with. So how did that all start? That's a great question. Um, so I've kind of been in this industry for, oh gosh, 12 years, probably somewhere in that neighborhood. Um, and I was kind of running a, another coaching company um, and ended up um, kind of leaving there and Jay and I had been uh, colleagues for a while and um, he asked me to come on board and kind of take over as the COO and kind of help him scale up the kind of the systems and processes with the company and so that was gosh about a year and a half ago so um, yeah I'm, I'm one of the owners and the COO of Macros Inc. So that's kind okay. of one of the hats I wear. Okay and so what is like the main concept behind Macros Inc.? Like I'm I'm curious, it kind of seems like you're helping all sorts of people, but is it usually more of you're helping general population people kind of get an understanding and a grasp of macros? Or do you do much with like more serious athletes and people who have who have been doing this for a while, the whole macros thing? Yes, yeah, so we primarily serve, uh, you know, our, kind of our primary client base is kind of more uh, introductory coaching, um, mm -hmm. you know, trying to get people from kind of zero to hero, essentially. Uh, so we do really customized one-on-one -on -one coaching uh, in kind of a more concierge service type way. Uh, we use kind of evidence-based principles to kind of guide the coaching, um, but we really allow people kind of to operate in, you know, function in their lives how they see fit right so we don't have like we're not a, we're not paleo coaching we're not keto coaching we're not vegan coaching we're kind of what are the scientific principles of nutrition and exercise for weight loss uh, performance and optimal health and then how do we use those principles and coach people accordingly so that's kind of the overall approach uh, so we primarily do serve kind of general population clients um, but we do have you know a handful of clients who are kind of more high-end athletes mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So when you say stuff like the paleo, and I know that the the main problem I have is like when you when you look to just popular culture and people want to get healthier, or get fitter, it's always an emphasis on, oh, I'm going to go on this diet or I'm going to eat healthy for a month and all that kind of stuff. So how do you get people to kind of have the understanding? Because I'm sure if these people are coming to you, you know, they're all 
adults and they've been eating a certain way for a while and they have these ideas about nutrition and healthy eating, how do you get them? How do you sort of introduce them? Because I'm sure it's hard. You don't want to throw everything at them at once because you can't go from not knowing what macros are to strictly tracking. So what does that process sort of look like? Uh, that's a great question. Uh, so really a lot of it is kind of one client education before they become clients of ours. Um, so there's, you know, from the date, from the time somebody kind of knows about who we are at Macros Inc., there is a lot of kind of education that we do before somebody even signs up to be a client. Um, mm -hmm. So we kind of try to lay the groundwork there. And then really the kind of the conversations with our clients are, you know, this is a long-term process. Um, this will require some work. This does require learning some new concepts. Um, it will have a little bit of ambiguity at times, right? Where it's, there's not a list of here's the food you can and can't eat. Mm -hmm. uh, and then just kind of slowly giving them information along the way in kind of a structured manner of here's the most important things you need to know. Let's solve that problem. Then here's the next thing you want to know. Um, so we try to do that in a very systematic approach. Mm -hmm. And what are some of the biggest challenges that people face? To me, it would seem like I think that well, macros are, you know, if, if you follow them, they are obviously extremely helpful. And, but I think that one of the big problems is someone going from not knowing what macros is to trying to track is the dishonesty and kind of letting go days go by the wayside. What are some other big challenges that people face in the beginning like that? Uh, man, some of the big challenges are, you know, really just kind of getting people to buy into this is a lot longer than night than, you know, 60 days. Mm -hmm. Um, so this is kind of building skills. That's probably the, the hardest one. Um, and then from there, it's, you know, trying to, to get people to do the work on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, you know what? It's the analogy of you can go to the gym and you can just go through exercises or you can kind of count your reps and your sets and track your volume. Mm -hmm. um, so it's really getting people to buy into the concept of, you know, what we're trying to do is do hard work now so you can have the skills to kind of be sustainable for the rest of your life. So it's really, you know, having those conversations, letting them know what's important, why it's important, why the work that you're doing is actually going to matter six, nine, 12 months from now. Um, and so those are the biggest things, just getting people to buy into the overall concept of, of, you know, those sorts of things. And the other piece is, uh, not everybody has to track every single piece of food that goes into their mouth, mm -hmm. uh, right? There are nuances there. There's, you know, some clients who it's like, Hey, you know, we're just going to track calories or we're just going to track protein or there's, there's different ways you can operationalize, you know, really just the idea of tracking your food quantity intake. There's a lot of different variations on that that you can do. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious. Um, I, I, so one of the things that really struck me, like I said, when, when I, uh, kind of had a whole, basically the gist of my story is a long time. Like ever since I was 14 or 15, I really loved lifting weights and it was just a really long time where I just spun my wheels from probably the age of like, like I said, 14, 15, when I started to like 21, 22, when I finally, like I said, I was exposed to Mike Matthews's book, bigger, leaner, stronger is one of the first things. But then that was kind of like, uh, a flood of just getting more knowledgeable about the evidence-based, like you said, scientific-based community. And once I finally started to understand this is what calories are, this is what macros are, especially as someone who was always trying to, you know, like get bigger in the gym, like especially as a teenager, that's what you focus on. And it seems like, like no one really, it seems like it should be something that is taught 
almost like in school or like at an early age where you like, this is energy balance. This is calorie balance. This is how it affects you because I'm always struck how intelligent people, you know, and like business professionals and it, it's, it's like people, those are the people that go on the keto diet or the paleo diet or think that that's the answer. I've always just been struck by the fact that it's not more, um, more relevant to like, you know, people just knowing that that's the driver of, of weight loss. Yeah. And that really comes down to kind of one fundamental principle is for the most part, especially in our adult lives, we're fed kind of nutrition information and we consume nutrition information in a kind of top down or kind of a results backwards approach, right? You either, here's a diet philosophy that you should follow because it gives you X results, but we don't really cover why that diet's doing what it's doing, right? Mm -hmm. you, yeah, you know, the fundamental underlying architecture of how does paleo work? How does keto work? How does intermittent fasting work? How does low carb or low fat diets work, how do vegan diets work, etc. Um, we always start with what is the, we all consume the content and we're all fed the content of here's the end result because that's what we actually care about. Here's how you do it. Here's a system of doing it. And we don't really think about why you're doing it, right? Mm -hmm. Or what are the underlying principles. In reality, we should be starting the conversation from the ground up, right? Like what is the underlying principle that dictates whether you're gaining or losing body weight. Mm -hmm. What are those principles? How do we apply those principles? And then here are different diet archetypes or ways of eating that can help you achieve these principles. And I think if we started that way, people would at least have a better understanding of um, what was going on on the underlying piece compared to just kind of the top down approach. Mm -hmm. Yeah, to me, it's it's almost like levels where, like I said, like when I was young and just, you know, had basically traditional standards, ways of looking at food, it was like healthy and unhealthy food. And then once I found out about macronutrients, it was like, that was everything. I was tracking super closely and I was the type of person where, oh, if I just track my macros, you know, I can eat some dessert every day or this or that. And like, not that that's inherently bad, but I think eventually you'd probably agree that you land in a place that's like, it's sort of depending on your personality close to 50 50 like quality versus quantity i know that was another topic of one of your guys's podcasts because like you say if you you know if you if you want to track macros all the time you can and that's going to work but that's not necessarily real life that has events where you go out and eat or you know special situations around family or around you know whatever it is that you have popcorn at the movies for example not that anyone's going to movies now but stuff like that yeah, exactly. Right. So I think a lot of times if you don't understand those kind of basic principles, you don't have the skills to operate in the real world in a pretty flexible fashion. It kind of makes it difficult to, to handle those things, right? Go to family events, go to the movies, go on trips, etc. You know, you kind of end up with a, like, here's the only thing I can do because this is all I know. And this is the only way I can operate in the world. Mm-hmm. So is there, is there anything when, when you talk about just tracking macros and like, to me, like I said, I was in the past when I first found out about macros, it's like, this is great. I can eat, you know, some sort of, like I said, like my big thing is dessert. So fit, fitting something in like that every day, do you ever recommend to people that they avoid certain things? Because as we know, cal caloric, calorie balance wise and body composition wise, there's not good and bad calories. But to me, it seems pretty obvious that you should try to avoid things like vegetable oils, 
and maybe to some extent, if you can, like refined flours and refined sugars. So where, where do you find that balance with people? Um, really a lot of it is like, what is the most important things for each person, right? Mm -hmm. We're, a lot of us are kind of at different varying stages of our health and fitness journey, right? There's people where you can be consuming all the quote unquote bad foods in the world. Um, but if, if for you, the major priority is we need to get 40 or 50 pounds off and we can do that by kind of keeping your current diet quality the same, but just reducing overall calorie intake through portion mm -hmm. reduction, et cetera. That's probably the first place to start, right? There's other people who, you know, they're at a mostly healthy body weight. Um, and they've kind of done all the risk reduction for a lot of the kind of health consequences. And now it's like, okay, well now that we've handled the body weight, the BMI piece, let's now kind of move on to how do we optimize the food quality, right? So we're kind of always on the spectrum of what's most important, what do we need to do, um, and what's the next step to kind of move you down the line. And then there's other people who, the very first step, maybe just having a big shift in food quality and changing that food quality will reduce the overall calorie intake that they're consuming. So it really depends on where you are and kind of your own individual journey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And something, something else I heard that has always stuck with me that I listened, I think I heard this on Mike's podcast at one point was that he talked about, maybe it was a study and I'm, maybe you're familiar with this, maybe you're not, but basically they tried to get people to repeatedly um, like in a number of weeks or something like that, eat these foods that they claim they didn't like and then getting familiarized with those foods. Eventually they, so maybe they rated them before and after and afterwards they rated them as being more enjoyable. So does that kind of factor in too, where like if someone's eating a diet where it's all like fast food and these processed foods that are hyper palatable and obviously delicious and is it, is it kind of an adjustment to getting people from that to like your food's not always going to blow your mind with, with the taste, but you can have things like fruit and vegetables and, and lean proteins and stuff like that and still make them tasty and make yourself want to eat them. Yeah. And that's, that's a big part of, you know, some of the client education pieces, just kind of changing the relationship they have with food. And that can be everywhere from, you know, even that falls on the spectrum of, you know, some people just all food is bad to them. Um, and some people's food is like the, whatever I consume is the big joy I get in life. And so you kind of have to figure out where people are and kind of re-educate them. Um, you know, some people it's anything that they enjoy from their food. It's like, if they have something that's enjoyable, it's bad because food should really only be mm -hmm. a nutrient thing. And then other people are, if I don't enjoy it, I'm not going to eat it. Um, so it's, it's really trying to get people to understand there's more to the nutrition piece than individual aspects of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've, I've definitely been there too. That's something I've talked about on my podcast where it was, I definitely felt like, oh, well, this food, you know, it tastes like shit. So it must be, you know, this is healthy. I got to eat these raw vegetables or whatever it yeah. was or bland chicken. Whereas now the reason I'm, I'm so consistently successful is because I, I know how to make you know chicken breast and make it taste good and maybe do some, some sort of like a vegetable mix with olive oil and salt and stuff like that. And not being afraid to make stuff taste good and still knowing that it falls I mean, it, it's hard when you start saying healthy or unhealthy, but you can make smart decisions and still really enjoy the meals that you're making too. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's a big piece too, is just allowing people to realize there's your food kind of falls anywhere in the spectrum, right? Mm -hmm. In any given situation, it may need to fall in one area of the spectrum and in another situation it may need to fall in a different 
area of the spectrum. So there's no real like black and white rules of what people can and can't eat. Um, mm. And I think just giving people that freedom and flexibility to do that, I think makes a big difference. Mm -hmm. Is that a component of the company and the, the coaching structure where do you, do you give them sort of any advice on like cooking or what sort of foods to, to eat and, you know, how to spice things up, things like that? Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of our coaching is really full depth client education. You know, mm -hmm. people have certain foods that they like, um, certain foods that they don't like, and how do we change your current intake to be more in line with your goals, but still, you know, taste good, meet some of the things that you need out of your daily life for, you know, enjoying your food. Um, so mm -hmm. sometimes that means what are substitutions you can make? What are different like spices and flavorings you can use that, you know, give you the same joy, but half the calories. Um, mm -hmm. There's a lot of different things like that that we do do client education on. Mm -hmm. And the big thing when you talk about like reducing calories is something I think is a really easy tip is try to try to lean towards spices rather than like sauces and dressings. Cause I think that another, if you're just looking at like general population and where things go wrong often is people might think they're not eating a big meal and it might be a small quantity of food, but if you eat something that's like a really high calorie side, like whether it be ranch or mayonnaise and that kind of stuff, people not realizing that those calories can add up so fast and you can't always rely on. And that's kind of one of the, one of the principles of macros in general, probably one of the early things you educate people on, but what your food looks like as far as quantity, isn't always the end all be all by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, exactly. Right. And so there's, there's a lot more to food than just the quantity of it. And there's a lot more to food than just the quality of it. Mm -hmm. Trying to get people to understand that there's, there's an, a happy medium somewhere in between the two that you can kind of operate in your life and have the best of both worlds. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, another point I like that you guys made on your podcast when I was checking that out is how it's really in human history, super relatively recent that we've had to worry about the massive influx of food where, you know, when you look at when sugar was first around in, I don't know, say two, 300 years ago, it was always good for people to get extra calories because they were so hard to come by. Or if you look towards even farther back in human history, say hunter gatherer type times, it was the most you can, you know, like you're, you're geared to, to binge on food whenever possible. And so part of it's just realizing that you have to fight that inherent, like evolutionary, I guess, habits that we have. <coughs> yeah. Excuse me. Um, you know, and <laughs> One of the big things on that note is we kind of have to start really separating the way that we view kind of evolutionary biology with where we are currently, right? I think we've had a lot of discussions around like, hey, what were we wired to do? What were we not wired to do? Um, and there's a lot that we can learn from kind of our physiology about those things. But when we think about just the way we operate in the world now, we're in a completely different environment. Um, and so we kind of have to go back to the drawing board of, you know, what strategies, what skills, what environments, what things can we build around us to kind of try to help us rematch what we need from a biological perspective with the environment we're in, right? Mm -hmm. Is those mechanisms that kind of helped us way back in the day really don't matter now. Um, and so just kind of, how do we break it down to kind of fundamental principles and then how do we operate in the current world 
to make sure those principles are aligning with what we need to do. Um, so for example, you know, food consumption, uh, we are kind of biologically wired to gravitate towards kind of energy dense foods, right? Mm -hmm. Just because the more energy dense something is, the, the better survival capacity we may have, right? That's one of the evolutionary mechanisms. Currently, we have an abundance of energy dense foods. So because we're wired to like those, we're more likely to overconsume those. Um, and so then how do we adjust in the current world so we, we don't always kind of fall into those predilections? Well, I, th I think like, I, I think a good example of how easy, how easily we're hijacked to try to, you know, eat these really cal calorically dense foods is just look at every grocery store. They have the candy bars and the candy by, by the, uh, the checkout because it's, it's an easy, not an easy choice, but like, it's, it's obvious where it's like, oh, you know, this is something this, if you look at evolutionarily wise, oh, look at this very calorically dense food that's going to be delicious and taste good. I should try to get that. So it's, again, kind of like we've touched on, it's so just a product of our environment and just baked into society, some of these habits. And so if you don't take control of them yourself, you kind of just fall into whatever patterns, negative habits are, are just a product of the environment, I guess. Um, and I, yeah, I think the other piece too is our habits that we develop kind of have a very deep neurobiological basis. Um, and when we think about food, there's a lot of kind of food reward concepts um, and kind of the environments and habits we build based on how much reward does food give us. And that's something that we also are starting to understand more and more about. I think that one of the really frustrating things when you just talk about, again, like two points I always come back to is like mainstream society, it's so hard to understand how to eat in a way that's appropriate for you. And even when you look at like, so I love the Joe Rogan podcast, but you look at that and he'll have people on all the time or he'll talk about himself like, oh, you know, I'm only doing my best when I'm eating the keto diet or I, you know, oh, he'll, he'll say things like that carbs are bad. I'm eating too many carbs. And so it's just like, it, it's kind of like the other thing when I was checking out your guys' podcast, you mentioned um, how Oprah became popular for saying that, uh, like eating food after six o'clock is bad or is going to make you fat. So it's like <laughs> even these people that we look to and respect in society, they, they probably have a lot of misconceptions around food. And just because they're popular figure in society doesn't mean that they're educated on this sort of stuff. Yeah. I think the other, the other thing a lot of people don't really consider is we are big advocates of what works for us, right? Because mm -hmm. we love stories. We love anecdotes. And we also love sharing kind of our wins with people. Um, but one of the things I think all of us are kind of prone to is this, it worked because of me when actually it worked despite of me, right? I always like to give examples of like really successful entrepreneurs, people who made a ton of money, you know, they've built these crazy businesses and, you know, they'll write these books about like, Hey, I was successful because I did X, Y, and Z. Right. Mm -hmm. And in reality, maybe it was just all luck and had nothing to do with their specific skill set. Maybe they were at the right place at the right time, had the right idea. And no matter what they did, it would have succeeded. Um, and that's why you see, you know, business books that have like, this is the type of person you need to be. This is the type of person you need to be. This is the type of person you need to be. And they've all been successful. And really it may be 
despite of them and not just because of them. Um, and I think the same thing happens with diets, right? Is somebody maybe goes on a ketogenic diet and loses a lot of weight and they say, Hey, I was super successful because just of this diet. And it's like, well, maybe you succeeded because of everything else, despite what you did. Right. One of the, one of the stories I always like to tell people is, I don't know if you're, if you're a basketball person, but Lamar right. Odom, um, Lamar Odom was a great basketball player, right? Played at the highest level, won championships, but his diet was, he lived on like candy. Like they called oh, him the candy man. Cause he was just like, he was always eating like Skittles and Sour Patch Kids and all sorts of stuff like that. And you would not draw the conclusion like, Hey, if you want to be an NBA basketball player, you should, that should be your diet. Right. It's really, he succeeded because of his genetics and work ethic and circumstances and all sorts of stuff, but it wasn't because of his diet. He actually succeeded despite his diet. Yeah. Um, so I think we, a lot of times we fail to realize that that's the case in a lot of circumstances. Yeah, that's really good. I was actually last week, I did a podcast with my friend, Mitch, um, Mitch Harb. He, he, uh, he's actually in Seattle. So somewhat close to you. And uh, he was talking about, he's starting this coaching business with a friend and, he does um, a few, like some general population people, and there's also some uh, high-level athletes that they train. And we were kind of talking about food and sort of along that same thing, like I mentioned, what came to mind was Marshawn Lynch. Like he was known for eating Skittles on the sidelines. And so it's that same thing. It's like he wasn't successful in football because he ate Skittles on the sidelines. It just shows that your, your nutrition is the end-all be-all to me. And then the second thing is just that you – I think that what it kind of shows me is like, if you really have the elite level genetics and the elite level abilities and work ethics, you can really bypass a lot of the important things like around nutrition and stuff like that. Yeah. And I think a lot of us realize that at some fundamental level in their life, right? Is mm -hmm. a lot of times we get to a point where it's like, Hey, I may be where I am, not because of what I've done, but just because of circumstances or mm -hmm. genetics or things like that. So there's, there's definitely, um, you know, a lot to be said about people understanding, but sometimes things work not because of the thing you did, but despite the thing you did, mm -hmm. it's all the other circumstances that pushed you toward, you know, that result. So is there, I I'm, I'm curious because another, um, pretty fond memory for me along the, like the whole macros journey to where I am now having more of a full, all around understanding is I remember one point where things really clicked was that <clears throat> I've been tracking macros for a while and it was like, okay, for me to whatever it was I was doing at the time, I think I was trying to lose fat. And so it was like landing around 23 to 2,500 calories a day. And I would do really good through the week. And then I'd go and being in college, there was like a huge influx of calories throughout the weekend. So um, one really big waking up moment for me was realizing that you can kind of do it on a weekly basis. And a lot of times I've been really successful with like, okay, I know I overate yesterday. And so I'm going to taper it back a little bit today. Is there, and maybe that's not even something you address with people because it's sort of more of a, a high level thing, but is there any big realizations that people frequently have where, oh, like now I get this, now this is going to help me sort of reach the next level? Um, yeah. I mean, I think one of the like graphics that I always share with my, um, like, I try to share with clients or people is, and you kind of brought this up a little bit. If you start to think about kind of weight loss as you're just building a cumulative deficit, right? Like let's just say for rough strokes to keep the math, math easy, let's say you wanted to lose 20 pounds, right? On average, 
roughly speaking, that's somewhere in the neighborhood of what 70,000 calories probably, right? Of kind of cumulative deficit. That means over the span of however long it's going to take you, you have to accumulate, you have to accumulate 70,000 calorie deficit. So you can do that by averaging 700 a day for hundred days. You can do that by averaging a thousand a day for 70 days. You can do that by all sorts of different metrics. And really you just have to continue to each day accumulate that deficit. And so that means you have a wedding weekend, you get to add nothing to that total. Uh, or maybe you have to subtract from that total. You have a week where you are, you know, really on the ball, you get to take, let's just say 7,000 off that number, right? So it's, you start to realize it's kind of this long-term energy balance equation that's mm -hmm. not dissimilar from your bank account. Um, mm -hmm. That really kind of helps people, A, kind of look at their goal in a more holistic sense, um, and B, kind of gives them tangible, a tangible understanding of the time frame it's going to take to get there. You can just tell people like, hey, if you want to lose 20 pounds, it's about a 70,000 calorie deficit. A lot of ways we can get there. Here's a few options. Do we want to go the aggressive shorter route, the longer sustainable route? What is the kind of direction you want to go? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned like the bank account example, because I like to do personal finance examples all the time. And that's one of the other areas I like to dip my foot into. Like, I like to read different books and personal finance is really interests me. And I think it's because I'm a very analytical person and I see how similar long-term success with nutrition and training is to personal finances being successful, where if you do, you know, say everybody, or I, I'm a big fan of the 80, 20 example. So if you do 80% of what you should do, you know, most of the time and don't waver from that in five or 10 years, you're going to be really happy with the results you've achieved. And in that way, I think that personal finance and um, just success with nutrition and training is so important because you can mess up, like you can go and have a uh, 5,000 calorie day, but if it's something that is happening very few and far between, and you're usually being cognizant of your food quality and macros and whatever is the most important to you, again, when you talked about long-term vision at the beginning, if, if you look five years down the road, you're going to be super successful if you can keep that up. Yeah. And that's, you know, that, I think that's one of the hardest part for people to realize is it really is just a sustainable cumulative effort that gets you where you want to go. Um, you know, if you look at anybody who's successful at anything, it's very, very, very rare that anybody is just like an instant overnight success. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's the unicorn cases. There's like the Instagrams that somebody built it in four months and made a billion dollars, but mm -hmm. that's the very, very rare exception to the rule. Mm -hmm. Um, and if you're kind of hoping and betting on that to be you, you're either uh, incredibly narcissistic, naive, or, uh, you know, bad at probabilities. Mm -hmm. um, and so most people, vast majority of people kind of get to where they want to be by just accumulating daily successes and daily wins over extended periods of time. Mm -hmm. Now the, the benefit to that is it also then takes a lot longer to unwind those results, right? Uh, another good kind of financial example is, what is the rate of people who kind of go broke or end up bankrupt if they accumulate their wealth over a lifetime, right? Oh yeah. It's very low, right? But if you have people who win the lottery, I think it's like 75% of them yeah, end up going super high number mm -hmm. five to 10 years or some absurd number like that. Right. So it's, 
and it's for two reasons. One is when you have a massive change in your circumstances, whether it's a physique, whether it's money, whether it's, you know, whatever, you don't know how to manage that. Um, and two is you haven't developed the skills that actually got you there, right? So you don't know how to maintain that level of whatever you're doing, right? Building a incredible physique without the use of aggressive, you know, steroids takes a long time and it takes developing a skill set and a mindset and a work ethic and a level of discipline that those things don't just go away overnight. Either. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that similarly to the lottery example, it's probably something that you've made the comparison to before, but I think they say close to, again, I don't have the exact number, but probably over 90% of people that have at least any sort of a rapid weight loss wind up putting that weight back on. Yeah, I think the numbers are within, is it five years, 75% uh, of the weight has been regained from most mm -hmm. people. I mean, that's kind of irrespective of whether they've lost super fast or a little bit more moderate. But yeah, that, that is one of the things that can occur, um, especially if you haven't developed really kind of long-term sustainable habits. Mm -hmm. Another guy I enjoy following who's, who's uh, been on Mike's podcast is Lane Norton. And I think that that he wrote the book called Fat Loss Forever. And I think uh, I, I had not read it, but I, from what I understand, a big part of it is just how do you, again, create these long-term sustainable habits that aren't just going to have you putting on all the weight you lost from. And that's the big problem, as we've kind of already spoken on with keto diets, probably the easiest scapegoat, but you know, people lose 30 pounds from keto. And not to mention the fact that some of that weight is just glycogen and water loss. But if you enjoy carbs, if you want them to be a part of your life at all, you can't just expect to do that forever. And so when you get back into this environment where you don't have the restriction, it's like, boom, you're going to probably, it's, it's unfortunately a lot of people are going to fail. Yeah. You know, one of the things, um, there's a guy who just wrote a book that was super popular. I think it was last year. Maybe it was called atomic habits. Oh yeah. James clear. Um, yeah. And one of the things that there's a lot of interesting, useful stuff in that book, but I think my favorite one is never miss twice. Right. And really kind of the, the real ethos behind that is it's amazing what you can accomplish if you just don't let bad actions accumulate. Right. I mean, we're all going to take steps backwards. Right. We're all going to misstep. We're going to be imperfect. We're going to make bad decisions left and right because life's complicated and we're emotional creatures and all sorts of stuff. Right. Um, but if you can kind of minimize the bad decisions and bad actions, you're going to always be moving forward. Right. You may take two steps forward, one step back, nine steps forward, one step back. But as long as you're not making multiple steps backwards, mm -hmm. you can just kind of keep slowly moving down the field you're always going to make progress and you're always going to be a little bit closer to the goal than you were a couple days ago. And I think that's, that's one of the things that I try to tell clients is it's okay if you have a bad day. It's not okay if you have a bad month. Right. Um, and how do you kind of do your own mental damage control to kind of rally the troops and get back together um, when it's time to kind of get back on the horse? Mm -hmm. Something, something I love to share on the podcast that I've, uh, talked about multiple times is just the fact that you need to eat 3,500 calories over your whatever you burn to gain a pound of fat. And so when people are like, Oh my God, I ate so much today. You know, I got fat. It's like, it's so basically if you look at most people, I mean, obviously it's different based on your size and male or female, but say most people fall around 2000 calories a day that is burned from their 
whatever activity they're doing and then their just basal metabolic rate. So if you think that you have to eat like 5,500 calories to gain one pound of fat, which isn't a totally significant amount of fat for, for just about anybody, that's something I love to share. So it kind of helps for me, it's helped a lot in just like the anxiety and neuroticism around food where it's not, you know, people have this vision, Oh, I ate this burger and fries and beer. I, I got, I gained pounds of fat and it's like, no, that's, that's not the reality at all. You're still on mute. Um, that's one of the big concepts. It's also very kind of enlightening for clients is to realize your body weight's going to fluctuate on a daily basis like crazy. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know mine, just because I like to experiment on myself, plus or minus six, seven pounds in a day is pretty normal. It's mm -hmm. kind of depending on when I weigh, when I've eaten, et cetera. Um, but to gain or lose six to seven pounds of adipose tissue is, yeah, somewhere in the neighborhood of, 35 to 45,000 excess calories, which even if I overeat by 500 a day, that's going to take me you know, two and a half months to gain that. Um, so just kind of telling clients like you can make progress in a fairly decent speed, but to really go backwards significantly is actually going to take a fairly substantial amount of time being off a plan. Um, so you can have, you know, a day or two here or there where it's like you've got a wedding or you're having a really bad day and you just want to go out for, you know, a burger and fries or you want to, you have an event that you want to eat more than you normally would at. Those don't derail you that much, right? We're looking at maybe a day, maybe a half a day even. Um, and so just kind of having the understanding of what it actually takes to take major steps backwards can be really freeing for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Again, I think that's why habits are so big because, just like my example of figuring out how to track um, <clears throat> weekends that are a lot more high calorie and being able to taper back on Monday or Friday or maybe throughout the whole week, that was really big for me. But now, like I said, that was a time when I was in college. So there's a lot more drinking and eating out and stuff like that. And now that I have a more, I mean, my day to day is just more consistent. So I find myself just eating meals that work for me. And so maybe like once every two, three weeks, month, I'll go out for a big dinner or a big event or something like that. And I find kind of like you said, I, I don't see that being detrimental at all. Whereas what was a big detriment to reaching my goals was when every single weekend there would be this huge influx. But if it's few and far between and you kind of let yourself go, you're, you're, you're probably going to be pretty well off in the long term. Yeah. Right. It's kind of like, uh, you know, back to the financial example is if you're, if every week you're, earning more money than you spend. And over the course of a year, you have two to three weekends where you go out and you spend more than you earn. That's not a problem, right? You're still 49 weeks, you know, plus to the good. But if it's every weekend you are, you know, blowing out your savings account at the bar, by the end of the year, you're going to have, you know, no further progress to show for it. The same thing is with calories, right? Is what is the cumulative deficit you've built or how well have you managed the, the overall intake and balance of the year? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And another, another thing I thought of when we're talking about just like the long term, so you want to create a deficit over the long term or kind of like you mentioned physique and how, if you really want to build a great physique, it takes a lot of just chipping away. And I love to, even for just the, general population person who just wants to be in decent shape. I love to use 
like golden era, like Arnold Schwarzenegger type era bodybuilding as an example, because you see when I, I always have been really fascinated with that ever since I was a teenager and you see them and it's like, at one point I never understood. It was like, but they're, they weren't tracking macros. Hey, were they, how are they, you know, how are they able to be successful? And it was just like, they would tweak things where it's like, Oh, I need a little bit more of this or a little bit less of this. And they probably were eating like the same things day after day. And they probably, I mean, I don't know if they were even aware of the macros, but like they knew they had to have high protein and they knew, okay, I have to lose this much weight to come in at this stage weight. And that's when I look the best. And it was so anecdotal and so kind of off the cuff that kind of speaks to where you don't have to get so academic with it. If you're not the type of person that your personality gears towards that, I guess. Yeah. You know, it's amazing what you can learn if you are very consistent with something, mm -hmm. right? If you do the same thing every day and then you make adjustments and your body responds, you've really just run a scientific experiment on yourself. The problem I think with most of us is we don't have structure and consistency. Um, it's really just most of us, myself included a lot of the times, just take it day by day and fly by the seat of our pants and figure whatever we do will be okay. Um, and for a lot of us, for years, we can do that and kind of manage a body weight. But then we haven't really learned how to make adjustments to get to where we need to be. So when things do go off the rails, it's like, okay, well, what do I need to do now to fix it? And people aren't like, oh, well, I probably just need to not go out to fast food as much and I probably need to get back to the gym, things like that. It's like they start going to these extreme things because they need a quick fix. Mm -hmm. I think that another thing I, I wanted to make sure we didn't skip past was I kind of forget how important that, well, not necessarily important, but how much of a uh, tangible visceral thing the scale weight is to people. Like, luckily, I'm at the point where taking my weight doesn't really interest me very much because I kind of know what's going on and I know if I'm getting close to or being able to achieve my goals. But I think so often people get caught up on that scale weight. And like you say, if you eat a huge meal or two and then you, you're up six pounds the next day, it's important for people to realize that is not fat. It's maybe water storage or just the food in your belly. But I think that that can be very harmful of like that gut reaction of like, Oh my God, seven pounds more than I was yesterday. Yeah. Um, I think it's two pieces. One, I think we have a little bit socially been conditioned by, you know, body weight is mm -hmm. being a bad thing. Um, the other one is I think we overly associate our kind of personal identity with a number on the scale. Um, and I think those, those two are, oftentimes go hand in hand we a lot of times will tie kind of our, our self-worth or who we are as a person or how society perceives us based on a number on the scale mm -hmm. um, and when you start to view it as just kind of a data point for progress it can definitely make it a lot easier for people to use it uh, as an effective tool um, but there are circumstances where you know how do you get somebody to the point where the scale it's not such an emotional personal thing um and that can be very difficult yeah so um about 10 minutes left or so here i'm curious so like i said one of the main reasons i wanted to have you on is because you started your podcast and i was curious what the motivation was behind that and where you you guys have a lot of really fun like interesting points and so are those more so just like what you guys think are important or is it like things you hear from clients as like, Oh, we, we should probably address this as be a helpful thing on the podcast. Oh, that's a good question. Um, so kind of the backstory, I mean, we have a, we have a fairly large coaching company. I think we 
we serve close to 2,000 clients right now. Uh, we've got a fairly large audience on kind of the, on Facebook and the internet. Um, and one of the things when all of the Corona stuff happened in March, it's like, okay, well, everybody's going to be home. Um, what is something we can do to just give more free information to our clients because people are going to be able to consume more content going to be around. So we decided to just kind of launch a podcast. Um, and so we've kind of taken the topics are, you know, one, I think at this point in my career, I've coached personally, probably, I don't know, three or 4,000 clients. Um, I've seen more client data than I would say most people on the planet. So I've kind of seen what people actually do on a daily basis. Like what does their food look like? Um, and we have, you know, a lot, we probably have several hundred years of coaching experience amongst our coaching staff. So we kind of have structured the podcast to where, you know, one, what are the major client questions that clients ask us? What are their major struggle points? And then from a coaching perspective, what are the things that we actually see matter for people? Like what, what is the difference between a successful client and an unsuccessful client? What are the major mental hangups? What are the topics or areas that clients ask questions about that they want answers to. Um, what are the things that they never even think about that we should try to you know, educate them on? So that's kind of where we've come up with some of these topics. And then sometimes it's just stuff that's interesting to us that we just want to chat about. Mm -hmm. So is there any, like, what are some of the most common things when you say, you know, all this experience with clients that is like the biggest prevailing myths or hangups or just points of emphasis? You know, uh, I think it is, and this, this holds true across, I mean, I've coached everybody from the very, very obese clients who have four or 500 pounds to lose to special forces operators. So I've kind of seen the full spectrum and the one area that I think most people stumble on is they, most people ask questions about the minutia, right? Of the, like the very nitty gritty details, but they don't really ask the big questions of, you know, what does people will always ask me about a supplement or nutrient timing or what macros do I need? Or should I eat brown rice or white rice or which vegetable or, you know, what glucose source should I use? Blah, 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 blah. Um, all those sorts of questions. They're all great questions. They're all usually relevant for the person. Um, but very few people will stop and ask, you know, for who I am, and where I want to go, what are the two biggest things that I personally need to do? Mm -hmm. um, and so I think a lot of people focus on the small details because those are the easiest to control, right? It's very easy to say, hey, I'm going to eat brown rice instead of white rice. But it's very diff difficult for people to go, okay, if I want to achieve this goal, I have to fundamentally make a major life change of how I'm living my day-to-day -day life. I'm going to have to get, go to bed earlier. I'm going to have to wake up earlier. I'm going to have to set aside time for the gym. I'm going to have to weigh and measure my food for six months until I can kind of learn what actual food intake looks like. I'm going to have to have honest conversations with a coach about the choices I make and the decisions I make. I'm going to have to have some difficult conversations with people in my life about what's important to me. Yeah. So most people try to tackle the little things because they're very easy to control versus what are the big rocks that actually move you further down the line because they're harder to carry and they're harder to move. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's, it's tough because some things go so far beyond macros where it's like, you mentioned like 
people in your personal life, friends, family. Sometimes if you, you know, like an easy example of like, if you go get drinks and appetizers with a group of friends every Friday after work, and then maybe you stop doing that or you taper back or you have a salad and water or something like that, you may to some extent either, and maybe it's just your perception or maybe it's really happening, but you might kind of feel attacked and like you're an outsider now. Like, why aren't you doing this thing that we all like to do? And I think that those are some of the really interesting points and probably sometimes that's where people see the biggest breakthroughs. It's like, oh, I wasn't, it wasn't that I needed to track macros closer. It was that I needed to be careful of these people in my life that would make it more likely for me to drink or eat foods that aren't geared toward my goals. Yeah. And that is one of the hardest parts is, and this, this happens in every area of your life, right? Think about when you, at every stage of your life when you've made decisions to go, you know, any way in your life, you're always going to have people who want you to stay in the current space you're in because they're your friends. They want to spend time with you. They want you to value the same things they value, right? If you get to a point in your career where you become hyper successful, um, you know, oftentimes we end up changing the circles we're around because we operate much differently in the world than we did when we were younger. Um, when we go from kind of having a very sedentary lifestyle and we hang around with people who don't really prioritize physical activity, nutrition, those sorts of things, um, and you decide to make a change, it can be difficult to maintain those social circles. Um, so that's also one of those things that as a coach, you have to be very mindful of, right? Is you're oftentimes asking clients to make major life changes that affect their social, cultural experience in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have to be mindful of how does that affect, how does that affect relationships? How does that affect conversations that people have? Um, and then how do you help guide clients through those things? Yeah, and <clears throat> I, uh, I was just thinking of, so have you ever read The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield? That's one book. No, I have not read that book. He's, he's one of my favorite authors. And actually, I was lucky enough to have him on a podcast a couple months ago, which was really fun. But one of the things I remember from The War of Art, and like, I love it because to me, it speaks to, it's a really good fitness example because he talks about the resistance. The resistance is what makes you, um, you know, I want to have an excuse for not doing your writing. Or to me, it's like the resistance is what people face before they go to the gym or when they want to make a healthy diet choice or over an unhealthy one. But one of the things I remember him saying is that you have to be prepared if you are going to um, make a choice that's like starting a business or writing a book or whatever it may be that's like a creative endeavor that's going to take a lot of your effort. He's like, people in your life are either going to consciously or unconsciously try to drag you down. It's like, oh, why don't you hang out with us as much anymore? Why don't you, again, the drinking is an easy example. Why don't you go out drinking with us? And it's like, you have to be prepared to know that some things just are not synergistic with your goals if you are going to make a major life change. Yeah, and one of the hardest parts about that is, and just speaking from personal experience, is a lot of times people won't understand your goals, right? Um, you You can decide that certain things are important to you and people will not understand it, right? You can decide, hey, you know, my health and fitness is the most important priority to me. And people will ask, well, why? How does that make sense? Are you giving up all this other stuff? Um, and they just won't understand why that's important to you. 
Same thing that happens with people who are entrepreneurs, right? Is they will work 80, 90, 100 hour weeks for some goal that, you know, people will not understand. Like, why would you do that and sacrifice all these other things and not spend time with us as your family, et cetera, to, to go do that? Um, and there's kind of a difficult situation there where one, people won't understand your goals. You can try to explain it to them and they just won't get it until they have the same, you know, kind of view of the world or desires to do those things. And so you kind of have to decide, are those goals worth some of those things? And if they are, then you kind of have to just continue to press ahead and, and try to do the best you can to maintain those relationships, but also realize that there will be some collateral from that. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, <clears throat> excuse me. We're almost, uh, we're almost up on time here. I was just curious, you mentioned books a couple of times. Is there any books that you've read recently or any that have been most impactful that you reread? I'm a big nonfiction fan. So I've read a lot of, like I said, the war of art. I have not actually read atomic habits yet, but I have it and all that kind of stuff I'm into. Oh man. Um, I go through phases where I will read a ton and then I'll go through phases where I won't read very much at all. Um, trying to think of, you know, there's been a lot of books, um, you know, just over the years that have been very helpful that I've, you know, kind of went back and reread. Um, I think a more recent one is principles by Ray Dalio is really good. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, how to win friends and influence people is it's a very old book. Um, it's one of those ones I try to reread about once a year, just because one of the hard parts about, uh, you know, kind of leading teams of people is, checking your own ego. Um, and so that's always a good book of like, Hey, am I handling situations appropriately? Am I doing what's best for the people around me? Um, I'm trying to think if there's any other very interesting books that have come out recently. Yeah. I think I, uh, are- one of the, one of the first, um, books I ever read when I got back into just reading under my own volition and checking out some nonfiction was, uh, seven habits of highly effective people. So that's also kind of the Dale Carnegie era. Yeah. Is that, is that a Stephen Covey book? No. Yeah. Stephen, Stephen Covey. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. That's what I thought. Um, yeah. You know, I'm also a big fan of one of the things that I think can be very difficult, you know, with kind of the self-help business genre is we will get into a mode of just overconsumption of reading, um, mm-hmm. but not taking a lot of action. So yeah, one of the things I always try to warn people is reading is awesome. It will open your mind. It will give you perspectives that you would not have had otherwise, but make sure you actually do something with that. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a tendency to, you know, kind of sit on the intellectual laurels we have from reading books, but we don't do the hard steps of taking the action on them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think that's uh, I think that's a good thing to leave with here. Um, are you, oh, another question I was curious about. Are you watching the yeah. NBA playoffs? You mentioned the NBA. I am watching the playoffs. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm, watching the, uh, I'm watching the highlights of each game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, yeah, some of those games are too, too late for me. Yeah, I, I also, I just can't sit down for hours. But if I can spend mm-hmm. 10 minutes in the morning while I'm like, making coffee and making breakfast and just mm-hmm. watch the highlights in the background, it's a good way to watch the most important parts of the game in about yeah. 10 minutes. It's really exciting right now. There's a lot of good teams. Like every, I, th- I think, all eight teams that are still left, or I guess there's a couple that are still in the first round, but they all look, they all look really solid. I know. I was a little sad. The Mavs got booted. Um, They got a bright future though, for sure. Yeah. Game seven of Houston OKC is going to be pretty good. Mm -hmm. And Uh, the the jazz and nuggets are on tonight. That'll be really good. 
to get yeah, yeah. The Heat Bucks game last night was interesting. I mm-hmm. did not expect that to come out, but Butler had a monster game. And yeah, he's playing really well. They've got a very talented team, so I think they could they could make it a ways. Mm-hmm. Well, Brad, thanks for coming on, and uh, go ahead and any final words you want to share or anywhere that you would want people to check out, check out the the uh, coaching company. No, um, yeah. So first of all, thanks for having me. Um, it's an honor. I always enjoy getting to connect with other people, and uh, really appreciate the work that you guys do to try to build bigger audiences and get you know more perspectives out there in the industry. So I really appreciate the hard work and you bringing me on here. Um, you know, I've, I've been fortunate in my career to be able to do some fun things and it's mostly been due to just, you know, people like yourself, um, mm-hmm. you know, kind of building a, a more credible world. So I really appreciate the hard work there. And yeah, if, if you want to find us, um, we're at macrosinc.net. Um, you can find us there. You can find us. We have a podcast, macrosinc.net backslash podcast, um, macrosinc.net slash YouTube. Uh, we have the YouTube channel. Um, so that's kind of where you can find us. Cool. Well, thanks again. And thank you for the kind words. Awesome. Perfect. Appreciate it, man. Hey guys, it's Jake again. I'd like to ask you if you enjoy the podcast to take a quick second and subscribe and rate the podcast. It really helps me out. And in addition, it'd be great if you would screenshot and share to your story I'd love to reshare and have a conversation about what you thought about the podcast.